0: Live from the Front Range of the beautiful Rocky Mountains. Hello, good morning and good evening, wherever you may be. This is the Nights of Awakening radio show or program. It depends on the day. I changed it up for some reason. (laughs) And I am your host, Justin Gates. Brought to you by KOA Publishing. Thank you so much for joining me. Day two in a row. It's got to be a record. At least lately. I want to point out that you can uh, check out the links in the show description for other ways to reach out and connect to us. Uh, we have a, a group that we use, we have a page, and uh, uh, we have a website, but uh, I'm not, I'm tweaking it, so we'll just leave it alone for now. Uh, continuing from our show yesterday, we want to continue the discussion on, on, on what this idea of the night and why we use it as a uh, as a springboard for everything we do. Uh, first, let me bring in my friends, uh, Chuckles. Hey, Chuckles, the crazy I am here. Nord. Chuckles, the crazy Nordsman and uh, Allie, who. Uh, hey. How did you do on your uh, qualification today?
1: I did well. I got it. <laughs>
0: We know you can shoot straight then.
1: Yes, that is true. <laughs> Which is complete one eighty from when I was in the military. Apparently I'm better with a with a Smith and Wesson model ten.
0: So our conversation yesterday, Do you guys have any thoughts? Uh it's been about a day since we did the show yesterday. Do you guys have any other thoughts uh about the stuff we covered yesterday? No?
2: Pretty much got it all out. Uh... No, I, I think we definitely want to start grabbing uh, topic headers before shows and distributing them, but that's more of a, uh, what's the word, a behind-the-scenes thing than it would be uh, anything specific on that. Um... I'm, re- I'm really interested to see the direction we're going to go as things progress, because I think we're starting to rebuild our fire. And I think it's important for people to realize that this is the time to start throwing a little bit of fuel in, in terms of uh, really just letting us know what they want, what they like, what they don't like, you know, or if they like it at all. Uh, I'm also interested to see what the analytics look like on our shows, in the next couple days, uh, as information starts pouring in, but like I said, that's more of a behind-the-scenes kind of thing.
0: Well, today, we're going to today we're going to continue our discussion, and we're going to get into what is a night according to the Nights of Awakening. First, we're going to touch upon awakenings. And this one, this one I think is going to get really interesting because an awakening is something very different depending on your background, depending on um, what kinds of things you've studied, uh, what kinds of energy practices or even even the kinds of physical practices or kind of martial arts maybe or, or, or things like that. So uh, before... I start with my thoughts. I want to actually reach out to uh, uh, Charles and see, Ch- Charles, off the cuff, What what is an awakening?
2: Well, first we've got to look at where we're at normally to see what an awakening is. Most people are not fully aware, and that sounds terrible. I always joke that... Uh, the first criteria of sentience is self-awareness and that most people fail. And that doesn't say a lot for humanity. Um, But that's not meant to be a put down. It's meant to be an opportunity to lift up. When I say that we lack a self-awareness, most of us don't know why we're doing what we're doing. And even those of us that are awakened in any respect often don't know all of why we're doing what we're doing. And that's fine. You're never going to know all of it. Even the greatest gurus and the yogis and the great masters of the past didn't know all of it. They knew more. And most of them, if they gained a following, we would like to think that they knew enough, that the term awakened was a milestone. So that, so that gets us into what awakening is then. You go from a state of not being self-aware, not being really present in what you're doing, who you are, how you're doing things, all of those things that interconnect to make you you, and you become somewhat aware. I say somewhat aware because when I was young, I, I thought I had it, and what I mean by that, you know, when I was in my teens, I started doing things like meditations. Within the first few years, I became more aware. I became awakened. But I thought I was completely awakened. I didn't realize that even once you're awakened, you have hidden motivations, hidden movers, and things like that. So as I got older, I realized that, hey, not only do you have those hidden motivations that you awaken to, but then you have the ones underneath of that. And then the ones underneath of that even And it's a continual journey when you talk about awakening. It's not something that just stops. It's not something that comes to an end. And we awaken in different ways at different times. Now, in the context of nights of awakening, without getting into the nightly part so much, we are saying that we believe that you have a night within you. And... I would say that's accurate. If everyone has a shadow and everyone has a negative self and everyone has all these different aspects to themselves, one of them has to be a knight. And when we we are talking about awakening the knight within, you know, that's one of our favorite catchphrases and it's probably the most awesome one I've seen in a decade, at least probably two decades. You know, we're talking about Becoming aware of that, bringing it to the forefront, utilizing it, nurturing it, making it stronger, and giving it what it needs to be the core of the self. So, when we talk about awakening, part of it is realization, part of it is actualization. And this is why I hate the term woke in the uh, (laughs) spiritual community, because it implies, number one, that you've already got it. And I don't think we all ever already have it. Not all the time. Um, you know, you guys are, are are damn good. Okay? I shouldn't say that. That's right. I'm supposed to be going more PG with my language. That'll last. But you, you two, specifically, are two shining examples that I know. And I'm a shining example for some people, because um, I'm a step further ahead than they are, I guess, in their mind. But I know even with you two being shining examples, you have your days when there's that hidden motivator underneath who you are that you're not aware of. And I know this because, you know, you tell me about it. You know, what messed you up? What made you fumble that day? Or, you know, where you were at in a state of mind you didn't want to be in. We all deal with it. The idea of being woke versus awakening is, uh, I I disdain because it assumes you're there and there's nothing hidden. There's nothing more to do. And even when you're just awakening one part, there's always something underneath of that. There's more to dig, there's more to build, there's more to become. So that is how I take the word awakening in this. It's more than just trying to reach a state and being woke because that implies a finality. It is a path that is continual It's reciprocal. It continually cycles in on itself and it rebuilds. And the goal is to make it rebuild stronger and stronger. And sometimes it rebuilds with weak points that you don't see until they start to crumble. And then, you know, you got to go back and get back to the basics of introspection and uh, self-change and self-motivation in those areas. And that's part of that's part of the awakening process. But what makes it what makes it different from the baseline state is that most people Even very motivated and driven people don't have that awareness. That would be the dividing line there. Awakening is about bringing that awareness and then bringing from that awareness action and resolution and change in the self. So that would be my definition of awakening. And that's in the context we're using it. I'm sure someone else will have a different definition for it in a different context, or that uh, other people will take this and the definition will be different even within this context to some degree. And that's fine. Um, but I know that outside of the way we're using the word, it's going to change a lot as well. So I don't want someone to say, well, you're not awakening in a different practice because Charles says so because of all the things I disdain in the world. Uh, using my name as the final authority, without doing the legwork yourself, is probably the thing I disdain the most. So that would be my take on. It.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the term I like to use is hyper awareness. Like you know, even in the even in it, uh, the the fictional counterparts of of uh, Planet Earth and. Like, if you look. Jedi. Uh, I've been reading a lot of the old Star Wars books, re- re-reading them a lot uh, lately. Um, I forgot how much I enjoyed them. But it's almost like the majority of what they do is exploiting a hyper-awareness of everything possible, you know? It's like – that's almost like the underlying – Push for for everything that they do, as far like all you know, all their superpowers or whatever. But but even the, the regular mundane stuff that they do, there seems to be this hyper awareness. And that's very much to, to me even a moment of enlightenment, quote unquote enlightenment. Uh, that's another you know word that people kind of put with awakening. Um, I'll tell you what what my intention was when. Uh, when we named this um, and we did it in such a way so that others could have uh their own sort of interpretation of what uh, an awakening is uh because as i said uh before you before you were speaking charles I, I said that uh you know it's, inter- it's it's an interesting question because everybody has kind of their own thing it's it's a term that I like to use for to, to describe a state of being um, when our whole self our mind our body soul or spirit, if you prefer kind of brought together in a way that uh, we begin to tune into that hyper awareness that higher level of thinking the higher level of consciousness that higher level of being uh, what you know beyond what our standard you know five or six senses tell us. Uh, again, it's a hyper-awareness. Uh, it can also be likened to a moment of enlightenment. Uh, and they could be, these, these, these moments, I, I really like what you said a minute ago, uh, basically like we're not always all the time in this moment of awakening. If, if we did, we'd probably dissolve into energy and just you know, float away from this place. They—they um, they very much are our moments, some longer than others, also some more comfortable moments of awakening. And uh, most of mine have been kind of sudden and painful, though, uh, because I was too—I won't say too busy at uh, being in my own kind of my own self, but too stubborn to see. That's probably a better way to put it that there are other sides to things in this world. And this is why I have taught myself and and, in a lot of ways, in a lot of times forced myself to uh, entertain as many perspectives as I can um, in an effort to see these through a new lens, um, to be able to see new understandings. And this is why over over the last 11 years, Uh, myself and David and you guys and uh, anybody else who's ran a show uh, for us, we have entertained these certain kind of guests from all different, all over the spectrum. I would get letters from people saying, oh, man, I can't believe you had that kind of guest on your show. Well, there is no real quote-unquote kind of guest that that we look for um, because growth doesn't happen when you're only looking uh, with the same perspective all the time. And I'm going to get to you, Allie, uh, see if you have any thoughts on awakening. Uh, But, you know, contrary to popular belief, uh, enlightenment and these sort of moments of awakening are not exclusive to any one belief system or religion. In fact, these two concepts really have nothing to do with the system of beliefs or religions by themselves. Um, It's just that normally uh, those organized religions and organized uh, philosophies and, and such they, have all, they, they contain the building blocks to reach these moments of hyper-awareness. So, Allie, do you have any thoughts on what an awakening is? And I'm really interested to, to hear yours because you are very much uh, um, come from a Christian perspective on a lot of things, too.
1: That's true. Though I'm probably going to use terminology more from the pagan side of things because um, Christianity doesn't really deal with things like lucid dreaming and when I think of, an awake- when I think of awakening we, we use it in two different styles we are the knights of awakening which means that our position as knights we're, we're somewhat awakened I mean obviously we do fall asleep from time to time and Charles pointed that out and we talked about where we've fallen I wouldn't say that we're woke, we're still awakening, but as, as awakened nights, the three of us, our job is to help other people awaken their night within while we're still awakening our night within. So we, we have it from two different perspectives. I see it as we're sleeping, so if someone's asleep, and even if they lucid dream, they're still not awake. We go through the motions in our dreams. Even if we're lucid dreaming, we can react to what's going on in those dreams, but we have no real impact on anything. It's not until we're awake that we build our self-awareness, but not just self-awareness, which we can derive information from those dreams, depending on if you're looking at your situations and trying to figure out how they all interrelate. Maybe it tells you something uh We use certain meditations like Charles uses the soul sword meditation. In the Jedi community, we have started using the inner city meditation, and both of these things tell something about our souls from different perspectives and where we are in our state of mind. So just the same, our dreams can pinpoint those also if we're able to actually look at what's going on. But being an awakened knight, or a night that's awakening from this dream state, you're not just taking the information from what's going on around you to understand yourself. You're taking it from a realistic point of view and trying to figure out whether or not the, um, sorry, I just noticed that Charles said, Nope. (laughs) I don't know what he's talking about, but anyway, I'll get him to answer that later. Um, the, Where was I? Oh, dreaming. So when we come out, we're becoming aware of the world around us. A knight cannot simply engage on themselves. They have to engage in the world around them because that's the job. We're supposed to be protecting it. We're supposed to be building up the world around us. And if we're sleeping knights, if, if that nightly value within us is asleep, we can't do anything. A knight trains, not just an awareness, but they train to do things, just like I just came back from qualifying on a range. Why did I come back from qualifying on a range? Because I actually have a job that requires me to have the gun. I can't just go out there and not be able to fire. That's why you qualify every so often. It keeps you uh, in memory of what your, what your basics are, breathing, et cetera. The, and I keep seeing all these things pop up, and I can't even respond to them because I'm driving. So, uh, hands-free, guys. It's hands-free, so don't, don't get on to me. But that's where I see it. Even though we're lucid dreaming, we can't be awakened. So we have to awaken to the world around us. We have to know what's going on. That's one of the reasons why we have a political show like Let's Regroup. So that we're able to tune into what the world is doing and then apply what the nightly agreements are. And we move from there. We learn about ourselves. We try to figure out things about ourselves so that we know how we want to respond to the world. Hopefully, it's not uh, you come to some stupid conclusions where you become an extremist of any religion or any political group and you, you take a more center line road. But if you end up doing that, well, at least you know more about yourself, but I wouldn't call you a knight and that's where i'm gonna that's where I'm gonna end that because now I'm behind a vehicle that's really slow. okay, sorry,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh dogma is a really really crippling thing. Um, to, to As you said, Ali, just now to, to be extremes on, on one side or the other. And, and for me, if you have an inspired mind that, that's always kind of on the hunt for not the newest and greatest thing or the flashiest thing, but if you're, if you're at least inspired and open to other types of wisdom or knowledge, And you can find that from all different walks of life. If you at least believe just one thing that it's possible, um, it will help you shed that dogma and those preconceived emotions in a way that opens the door. I don't know if it opens the door to to grand wisdom or whatever, but it's going to open the door, and you can look through that door, even if it's for a couple of minutes. Uh, Speaking of people on hands-free, phones at least I hope so back in your uh, back, back, well you know what back back in 2009 we did uh, our very first show was first half of the hour was what is a night second half of the show what is a, or no, the other way first half of the show, what was an awakening the other one was a night. and I believe you led the charge on telling us what an awakening was. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. It, 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 go ahead, steal my angle. It, it, it it's, yep, for yep. You to,
3: it's for you to have, yeah. Okay, I'm going to steal your angle. There's one powerful, uh, empowering idea, a realization. When you wake up one morning and you realize that life is like a river and you're going down it, whether you like it or not, it's happening. You found yourself in the middle of it, and there's no getting out of it. So what are your options? You can drown right where you are. You can flip-flop going, going down the waterfalls on your head if you want to. You can, you can fight against it. You can swim well. So there's a couple of realizations you can draw from this. Um, one, you're tethered to other people. You're not in this r- river alone. So if you go down, you're going to bring, it's like mountain climbers, you're going to bring the next guy down. And if you let them go down beside you, they're going to drag you down. So, drowning is not an option. So, it's either you do it poorly or you do it well. And if you're going to do it well, you have to stay sharp.
0: Yeah. Uh, Oftentimes, we don't have a choice, do we? We get ourselves to the point where where we are hyper-aware, and there's no going back, at least for a few minutes. (laughs) You know (laughs) what I mean? And... I I have seen a lot of people who regret opening up. Hmm. Um, we I think all three, at least three of us, maybe at least two of us on this panel today have a common friend who was uh, posting probably about a, a, two weeks ago or so about not not feeling great and not not uh, doing so hot because they had um, meditated to the they kind of opened up a hyper-awareness and then was 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 painfully uh, regretting it for a moment. And that's why I say it, sometimes these things could be really nice and cheery and, you know, you're like, oh, man, like, you know, like 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 your head just burst out, like you just realized, you know, the, the meaning of the life. And then other times you're curled up in a ball going, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs>
3: that's just the that's just the cycle though i mean that's that's part of the process of, of of learning of of going through it you know um everybody wants the end result but you know you have to go through the middle part the actual doing of it to get there it's worth it
0: i think so i think so uh especially you know it as as you said you, you, as you as you progress in your path and you kind of get to the point where you know um you don't always know when these things are going to happen, of course, but you, you're kind of prepared for for one way or the other. Um, and well, there's, you know, there's
3: always—I was just going to say—there's always the question of. There's always the question of what if.
0: There's always the question of what we lost you there for a second. might be in a dead spot. But Charles, have you ever found yourself in uh, uh, with a moment of awakening where you're like, oh my God, get me out of here? Oh, uh,
2: yeah. Many, many times. And some of those times are my most galvanizing times. Um, so, a little about me is that I've practiced martial arts at various points in my life and I really... Never, never knew if I could take a punch or hit someone back. Uh, it took me a while. Actually, I had two awakenings with it. The first one was that I was blustering myself up. In my youth, I did not put in the time. My early youth, I didn't put in the time to really train hard enough to be a fighter, or a warrior, or whatever you want to call it. But I thought I could handle myself, and I got into a couple sparring matches and found out I was wrong. Oh, was I wrong? Um, and that was a that was an awakening moment for me that if I was going to do this, I needed to commit fully that this was a twenty four seven job. That it was there was no point at which and I still remember working overnights at a grocery store running their self service because it was an all night grocery and we manned the self service for the overnight because they said it was more uh, effective or cost. I don't know. It makes no sense to me why you have one person, one person every hour coming through and you want to make them do the work themselves. I don't know. I got paid to stand there most of the night is what it boiled down to. And I started practicing uh, what's called a stutter step. And for those that don't know what that is, it's where you put all your weight on your front leg and you push off with your back. So if you're lunging, it's also called a lunging step or a tiger step in boxing, I started practicing that when no one was watching to build up leg muscles. And when I would get home, I would start doing push-ups and sit-ups right away. I just I put my life around that to get good enough to do it. Uh, found out that apparently not only can I take a hit, but I have a head made of iron. Um, should have figured that out with as dense as I am. Didn't until I started taking it in impact situations. Found out that once I get hit, I kind of wake up. Ha, there's my, my other awakening there. No, no. That's not the awakening I'm referring to. I kind of wake up uh, and am able to actually hold my own, and that's wearing 16 ounces of padding on each hand and putting headgear on the other person. Uh, I don't want to know what I would do without all of that back then. Uh, Right now, uh, without all of that, I still think I'd knock someone out. But then I came to my second awakening, was now that I knew I could do it, was that what I wanted to be? Was that my, my core focus? And it wasn't, and it had been that for so long. So when I started running my own business, my focus went there. You've got so many hours in a day, and you're either going to put them in one direction or the other at any given point. You might split focus, but you're not gonna you're not gonna be at the top of your game in one direction if you have five other directions than you did when you're at the top of your game. And it kind of weighed on me. And it kind of ate at me because I had this memory of this great fighter that I was where I could go toe-to-toe with literally the toughest guy in the town I lived with and meet him in the middle and neither one of us gave ground. And now, mm, um, don't think I could do that, certainly not wearing pillows on my hands. I suppose if him and I both took the pillows off of our hands, one of us would knock the other out. Given how hard our heads are, we'd probably both wind up in the hospital after Um, I think I'd drop before he would. That's just an honest analysis. But what the awakening was there was that it didn't matter to me as much. Because if it did, then it would matter to me more than everything else I was doing right now, which was running my business, taking care of my family. Uh, Basically, uh, I became family man, not family guy. Very different. But that became who I was, and it took me a while to realize that I was hanging on to a past self that I didn't really want to be because I never really enjoyed fighting. And that sounds very funny for a guy who emphasized, if you listen to some of my old radio programs, you'll hear me. Oh, my God, I'm a boxing machine, okay? But I emphasized that so that I could be that to become who I needed to be at that time. So I had one awakening that moved me in one direction because I needed to know. And I needed to answer a question that you only answer through experience. And that is, could I handle myself in a real altercation? And the answer is yes. And I also realized that physical conditioning was only the smallest part of that equation. If it was a real fight, you know, I'm never going to enter a situation where I go 12 rounds with someone on the street. If I do, uh, even, even the police in the small area that I live in are way faster than that. They're going to be here within three to five minutes. And either I'm going to have knocked the other person out or they're going to have broke their fist on my head, um, but I'm not going to drop it in five minutes, even if I'm not in the best shape of my life. So I had to go through that and then realize that now I had answered the question and that I no longer needed to know. And that was that was kind of earth-shattering for me because I had built my life around being this guy you know like my middle name was boxing at one point and Justin knows this and Allie knows this because these these poor poor individuals had to sit there and listen to my diatribes on the virtues of the hook over the uppercut or the uppercut over the hook for hours at a time as if though this was the most interesting thing they were going to hear all day with me being oblivious to them, they are probably there going, that's really great, Charles, but, you know, is anything new happened in your day? Nope, nope, just, you know, mastering the hook and the uppercut. Um, now my focus is on my home. It's on keeping my world in a centered point, keeping my business moving forward, um, spending time with my wife and with my pets. You know, there's a big shift from being a guy – who's basically lived on his own and trains every day four to five hours a day and being a guy who might get a half an hour in every three days or every three times a week rather. That's about every two days. And spends time with his pets and with his wife and on his business. It's it's a shift. And I had to wake up to the fact that I no longer wanted to be the guy I was. And I had built an ego image on who that guy was. Now, that doesn't mean I've come to a complete standstill on those things. That was the other thing I had to realize that the reason why it was hurting was because I didn't like the idea that I couldn't do some of what I could have done. So not necessarily the level I was at, but the ability to do it at all. So I started lifting weights up, uh, rehabbing an injured bicep, which Justin uh, got to hear me talk to him about a little bit. Um, and just general things like that, because, you know, there's a difference between out of shape and completely incapable when it comes to being able to handle yourself. So I've started investing a little time into there, but I realized that my drives are very different. I'm no longer in that insecure space of needing to know. I know now, it's not a question. I don't think there's anyone short of a heavyweight boxer who could hit me head on and, knock me out with the first punch, to be really honest. My head is that hard. Um, That's cool. I, I got that experience. But I can't live in that moment of the past when I have a business that is growing exponentially and I have a family life that is an investment in time in a positive way. When I have friends that need me daily to be there for them I can't live in that past and let it be an anchor that's weighing me down when those things used to be an inspiration that boosts me forward. So I, I I had two awakenings centered around that same thing. And I actually was telling, I can't get into those details, but I was telling a student of mine that he was going through something sim- uh, very similar. And what I said to him was, you know, there comes a point where you're doing something and you're doing it because you feel like you need to do it. And once you've done it and that need has been fulfilled for whatever that emotional primal drive was, now you have this unique moment where you have the freedom of choice. It's no longer an impulse that's driving you. It's no longer a part of you that needs to be satisfied. It's a choice. And either you're going to go to it and go, wow, I really do want to be that person. Or you're going to go and you're going to look at it and go, you know what? I'm not really much of a fighter. I'm not that kind of person. To be honest with you, I hate fighting. I loved sparring when I would get into it, in the middle of it. I'd love it after it was done. But I was a nervous wreck every time I put gloves on. And I don't really think I enjoyed it. I don't think I, as a person, enjoyed having butterflies in my stomach and a A sense of dread. Now, that might also have been my sparring partner, is the dude who shoulder shrugs a thousand pounds and hits like a Mack truck. But it wasn't what was fulfilling me, but it was my drive at the time. And I, that's that's a good personal example of having those awakenings and how they can be polarly opposite. And I'll tell you when I realized that I no longer wanted to be that, after I had built my own self image, my persona, if you will, of who I am, around that warrior, it was, uh, it was really heartbreaking. It, it, it threw me for a loop and it threw me for a cycle. And yeah, I kind of curled up in the ball and cried for a little bit. Maybe not literally, definitely not literally. I ain't got time to cry literally. But uh, I definitely emotionally did. And it took being able to sit there and confront the part of myself that I hadn't. And ask, you know, if this meant something to you, does it have to still mean something? And does it mean what it did? Given the choice between spending an evening watching anime with my wife or petting my animals and spending literally four hours every night doing push-ups and sit-ups and hitting a bag until my hands feel like they're going to break. Honestly, where I'm at right now, I'd rather watch that anime and talk to my wife and then, you know, see how my students are going and check up with them and work with them on their mysticism and get some meditation time in and do some ritual work. I have become a different person, and to be fair, I'm still going through the awakening process on that because you don't do something for six years of your life and then just stop. You find you've got to find where that balance is for you as to who you were and who you're going to be. And for me, that balance has been has been getting some very injured muscles back into function. Like right now, if I had to, I could uh, I could definitely punch someone in the nose hard enough to make them rethink their life, and that would be the first punch. But I couldn't have done that six months ago, to be honest. So I had to go that part of that circle too, in saying, yeah, I do want a little bit of this. Yeah, I want to I want to be in good enough shape that if someone busts the door down, they go, wow, wrong house. But I don't want to be in such good shape that, you know. I'm in the middle of a ring every day with some Goliath Titan offspring of Zeus getting my head caved in and calling that fun. So I'm still dealing with that growth even now. And I can tell you as a, as a person who is introspective and is always in that state, not always in that state of awakening, who's always striving to reach that state of awakening, that I have unresolved things in that. That for me, the greatest difficulty will always be putting a name on my path Because outside of Night of Awakening, I don't have an anchor point that I feel suits it. I'm Norse, but I'm also a mystic. And a lot of the things I practice are very, very far away from what the Norse did traditionally. Because they were a simple people using very simple and sympathetic methods. In a time when mysticism was skin of a bear, draw this symbol and chant and the gods will hear you. That was what we did back then. And now, as I I said yesterday, you know, mysticism has progressed more in 100 years than I believe it has in 5,000. And I really think that we have moved beyond, not necessarily beyond using those tools, but we've moved beyond only being able to use those tools and thinking that they are always the best in the same way that I would not try to cut up my steak with a sharp rock or build a fire in my house to cook. I can still cook with a fire and I can still use a sharp rock to cut things up, but that has changed in the world. And that's also had an impact on my journey there. So yeah, you know, those are some personal examples, and I feel that it's important to use personal examples, even when you feel that they're a little uh, what's the, what's the word uh, humbling. You know, and this is definitely humbling for me to ever speak ill of myself in public, or what could be perceived as ill. But I feel it's important to share that because it's too easy to get up here and put on the blue the blue shirt with the big S on it and the red cape and sound invincible to people, that's not what it means to awaken. And awakening is not always what you think it is. And sometimes it's confronting who you were and having to let go of that because that's not who you want to be and recognize that you're going to spend a period of time without self-definition while you redefine. And before I let go on that, Uh, A great man once said that what he admired about me was that I reinvent myself, it seems, every week to be a little better than I was. I don't know, I don't recall who that great man was, but I took that to heart as one of my positive traits and tried to keep it as a functional, useful drive in my life. And I think I've done pretty good at that. But I can tell you that just there, I've I've showed you some things that were very painful. And a lot of people say, well, how hard is it to let go of being a fighter Like if you've never been one? It becomes something that gets in your blood, and realizing you don't want to be that, you lose your sense of self. It's like losing an arm, because you invested everything into it, if you were really doing it. And for those people that casually go to martial arts class, and they go, ha, ha, and that's it, and they've never sparred, and they don't... that may, that may You may think that that is who you are, and it may very well be. I won't judge anyone, but... I can tell you when the intensity of something is taking up over half of your day every day, letting go of it no longer is who you are is a very difficult thing. Because we are creatures of habit. We are creatures of impulse. And you'll be driven to become what you're not as much as you're driven to become what you are. And awakening is about coming to the realization of what you actually are and going in that direction.
0: That's why training that's why training is important as Ali said earlier and training is something we'll talk about a little bit later because it is actually really really important to not just awakening but just to being successful and staying alive and all these other things uh, I'll give a I'll give a small example that probably most people will encounter small small example of awakening most people will encounter. Especially when they start to practice a meditation or deep uh, prayer, you start to notice things like blood flowing through your body and heartbeat uh, s- stuff you probably used to listen to when you were a little baby um, when you laid on your mother or whatever. But when I first when I first started succeeding at meditation, the strangest thing to me was the, the physical sensations that I was now aware of, and I remember thinking to myself, "Man, this is really gross." <laughs> like I can I can feel the blood coming through me, and 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 I I can almost hear my lungs expanding, and it was just really gross. Just being hyper aware of that, you get over it eventually because uh, it's not gross. It happens all the time. We're just not usually aware of it because we're being loud or. You know, uh, another simple example, something that that any of us can do right now. Well, not right now, um, in about 12 hours, maybe. Uh, Go away from the city and lay down and look up at the sky um, and do that with no intention. Just look up at the sky and get lost in what you see. You'll start to become hyper aware of just how big and beautiful and how many little dots you'll see in the sky that you've never seen before, just little tiny, tiny things. Remember, like you said yesterday, little things that add up to big things. Uh, I believe Allie has um, a story she wants to share with us about uh, a moment of awakening. Um, remember, uh, awakenings are good or bad. That, that's up to the person experiencing them. So, But uh, what's your story, Ally? Allie?
1: So, mine actually does fall in line with Christianity, and um, it kind of when you had asked me in in chat whether or not I had a story, I thought of the first the first thing I thought of was of something that happened years ago, but then I got to thinking a little bit more yesterday. I was on WordPress and looking through blogs, and I found one that talked about how Christianity has moved from being a relationship with God to one being. Of a cult, and I somewhat disagree with the piece, but not with the message that she, that the author was talking about. In that, I don't believe that Christianity has moved away from the personal relationship and becoming a cult, so much as only now we're able to move away from becoming a cult because we have the ability to read and write our own thoughts and think more deeply about what we're actually listening to. But this goes back to what happened as I transitioned. When I was growing up, I grew up with a, with a couple of churches and then but one was a main a, a big one. And the pastor would teach you as he was going through and reading through the Bible how to use a lexicon how to use different things from history to understand what the Bible was saying. And, Justin, you've been there with me on at least one of my my massive Bible studies, so you know that I learned a great deal from this guy, even if you didn't know that it was from him. But, learn was accurate Bible theory, or theology. Like, all those questions that I came up with to get you guys thinking more deeply about what you were reading – those were all on my own. I was at a point in time where I really believed everything this guy was saying, uh, or, and I had my reasons for why I believed it. Some things maybe I still agree with him on. Um, not that he's alive anymore. So I, I wouldn't be able to tell you except based on what he's taught in the past and what my mom has a bunch of his, uh, tape cassettes on. But some of the things that I have, learned to come out of simply because I've understood what it means to be, to awaken my inner night, my Christian night, so to speak, comes from the fact that these agreements push you forward to the training level. And even though he trained how people how to use the Bible, what they were looking at was, oh, well, he's teaching you how to do it, so he knows what he's talking about, and therefore I, I can just listen to what he has to say. But I was inspired through the Jedi community, actually, and through our work together to actually take his advice and look into it myself and come to my own conclusions and see what God reveals to me instead. So my awakening was realizing that my pastor or the pastors that I encounter cannot be the people that tell you how to be a Christian. You have to find that answer By uh, confirming what they say or uh, discerning whether or not what they're saying is right or wrong. Because now we have the tools to do that. And I find this works in a lot of things. It works with politics, because you're going to hear a lot of things about what Biden said, what Trump said, what Hillary Clinton said, what Hillary Clinton did, what Trump did, what Biden did, what... Joe Jorgensen has said, even though no one really talks about her, uh, the difference between Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison, this all translates. The, I, the, the first step that it took me from learning to actually work on what the Bible says, the next step was actually an NCO. His name was Staff Sergeant, or, uh, Sergeant First Class Gevers he got upset with me because I said something about the Patriot Act, because I listened to the media back then. This was back in 2000, somewhere between 2006 and 2008. Uh, I was downrange in Iraq, so it was actually probably 2007. I was downrange in Iraq, and I I gotten, um, I'd gotten a, uh, told that I needed to look into what the Patriot Act actually said. So I had to read through the whole Patriot Act to find out what the truth was versus what the media was telling everybody about what that document said and realizing that I was not getting told the truth. These were times when I was, I was still becoming an adult. I was not being told the truth about things and that I couldn't listen to what everyone else says. I had to find the information myself. That was a form of awakening because I realized that objectivity starts with me. It doesn't start with the news or whoever happens to be a quote-unquote authority. It's what's really going on. You have to find it yourself. Uh, And some things maybe you don't find as important as others. Uh, Not everyone's going to find politics important. In fact, there was a campaign video out by Jamie Harrison, who is a U.S. Senate candidate here in South Carolina, and he was talking, he talked about this, uh, old black guy that he had driven down a dirt road to go and see, so he could talk to him and pitch his campaign pitch. Now I don't know if it's actually true, but it sounds true and it's hilarious. And the guy was like, "Hey, let me stop you right there. What what's that? What kind of road was that that you drove up here?" He goes, "It's dirt road." He goes, "Yeah, as a GD dirt road. Let me tell you something, son." And he goes on, he's like, it was a dirt road when Reagan was president, when the Bushes were president, when Clinton and Obama were president. It's still a dirt road now, and it's probably still going to be a dirt road for many times. Until a Democrat or a Republican paves that dirt road, I don't care about them. So sometimes you have things that you don't care about. They don't, they're don't. they not necessary to your life to to get involved with. It could be politics. It could be that I, I doubt there's anyone on the show right now who knows more about marine biology than I do, but that was a that was a huge hobby for me when I was a kid, so I, I'm going to be more knowledgeable on that, and maybe you guys don't care enough about it to know that's understandable the The line "There is no ignorance, there is knowledge is really only appropriate to your sphere of influence and what is important to you that you get to understand. You can't know everything. You can't want to know everything because if you're doing that, you're spending too much time and you're not actually being a knight on whatever mission it is that you need to be working on. Understanding these things, awakening that information within me started base of realizing that I can't listen to what other people have to say. I have to find it for myself. I can't even listen to what I learned in school because there's, So much more information about what happened during the the time of slavery that if you just listen to what you learned in school, you're not going to understand why certain peoples, whether they're black or white, feel the way that they do. I was was at a um, Confederate statue not long ago, and I legitimately had a black woman tell me that when she looked at that statue, she felt pride. Well, on on the limited education that I got in school – that would make no sense to me, but knowing, but being able to go out and actually understand what other things are assigned to that statue, what people believe, even if it's not true, about the history of what happened during, during the Civil War, like the, the idea that there were black soldiers who were voluntary, voluntarily working on the side of the Confederates. Well, that's a lot more complicated than what it really was. They were working with the Confederate armies, but mostly at the behest of their their slave owners, and they weren't really uh, they weren't given the same equal rights as other other slave owners. But that narrative that they were
0: has invaded
1: some of the black community down here in the South. Well, I wouldn't have known that if I didn't go look for it. It wouldn't have made any sense. So you have to learn things outside of what the basics you're given, and one of the great things about this world is that we live in a in a day and age where we have access to the Internet, and we can find what people actually believe. We can find the truth, too, but we can find out why they believe what they believe, and then work from there to figure out how to break it apart and show them, no, this is dangerous line of thinking, or this is... This is, Or tell somebody else, this is why they think this way. And that's why you can't sit there and put them all into a little itty-bitty box. Psychology is far more complex than everybody thinks, thinks and feels the same way. Okay, I'm, I'm on my soapbox, but that, that's the basics of it. It's
0: <laughs> not a bad soapbox. I mean, as far as soapboxes go. I don't think it was a soapbox. Uh, that's kind of the point of this whole awakening thing. It's uh, subjective to our perspective. And that's why it's important for us to, to try and, you know, expand beyond these things that we feel comfortable with. Uh, just a couple of points before we move on that I wanted to, to share. Uh, this process is hard. Um, period. It's hard. Some people, look, look, when you see some people, it seems like they got an easier time of it than than you do. Um, It's probably not any easier uh, for them. So if you want to ensure maximum success with this, make sure you're taking your time. Make sure you're being patient with yourself and your progress. Because, again, this is a big undertaking. This is a huge huge thing for us to overcome. I think it's very important um, as David alluded to earlier um, well sometimes we don't have a choice we can go kicking and swimming, we can swim up try, try to swim against the river the current of the river we can go with it um, and try to enjoy it as much as we can learn from it as much as we can um, but remember to be kind and generous to yourself because this development that you're undertaking is, is for your own good um, this will translate, of course, to the world around you, but be kind. Be generous to yourself. This is not a race. There's no trophy. There's no, no ribbons, no parties. There's, uh, you know, like, like there was a true end anyway. Uh, something Ali said earlier um, that's perfect here is that we are still, quote, unquote, awakening. We still will always awakening. Um, so I don't think there's really an end to it anyway. Uh, an awakening is not something to be had. It's something to be found and discovered. This can be painful. This can be enjoyable, uh, as I said. But that is, it is the price you pay. But it's also the experience that you will gain while you're walking your path. So, again, Be good to yourself. You're going to fall. You're going to slip. You're going to bang your head. I do it all the time. To this very day, I still do it. Uh, But you're in good company. There's a lot of people that are, you know, here to support you. That's why it's also important to commune with others. And not necessarily always communing with people who agree with you all the time. Find people who, who maybe don't agree with you sometimes. Uh, here at the KOA, we kind of seek our wisdom by taking knowledge and combining it with experience. So you can know things, but you got to do things to make it worthwhile and to make it useful. Uh, and, of course, the practice of your path is more important than the words of your path. The, it's more important than the philosophies or the beliefs that make up your particular path. If you can't practice it, it's not worth doing. If you can't actually live whatever philosophy or path or religion that you have accepted into your life, if you can't practice that, then you're wasting your time. you wasting your time. Let's see here. So I I think that kind of wraps up the awakening um, talk from yesterday, uh, and we still have plenty of time. So... What is a night of awakening? The whole point of this show today was supposed to be what is a night of awakening um, Well to me a night of awakening is something of a spiritual warrior. Uh, we come from different backgrounds we come from many different beliefs, we come from different systems and practices but we are bound by a common set of principles principles and virtues, which we of course we call agreements here. Our idea of the night is someone who serves. It's a person who's dedicated to all parts of the self, the mind, the body, as we said, as I said earlier, and the spirit. They are both a martial warrior and a spiritual sage. They're someone who can teach a skill but also defend another, uh, another person if necessary. They can be a mystic, a warrior, a teacher, all of these things and more. There's very little – there's very little – there are very few things that that you can't say that a person is acting nightly because it's not so much what they do that defines them. Let me take that back. It is what they do that's important. But as long as they are uh, practicing the principles of virtues by which kind of glues Mm -hmm. us together – then the, the, their job or their, their role and where they find themselves at is quite as important. Because, again, it's the little things. In other words, you don't have to be a cop to be a protector. We believe that someone, the idea of the Knights, someone who uses their talents and skills that they have developed to serve a higher purpose, one that transcends the self. It starts with the self, eventually we're going, to trans- we're going to transcend that into a state of being. We are in the business of empowering people. We don't always hit that mark, uh, but that's certainly the goal, as we talked about yesterday. When guiding others, we don't do things for people, but we walk in such a way that we're acting as a good role model for them and hopefully inspiring them. To then serve others as well. So this starts by putting our best foot forward. I'm going to read uh, some statements that I have that I have written down um, for many years now. These have kind of followed me around, uh, and I'm going to read these, and then I'm going to get your guys' thoughts on them. Uh, so let's get started. Putting your best foot forward. This 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 concerns training, um, as Ali was talking about earlier. A knight is a person who, through training, practice, and experience, seeks excellence in their craft physically, mentally, and spiritually. They use these talents, gaining strength and ability to serve justice and the good of all, rather than the self. The knight does understand, however, that justice sometimes can be a terrible thing. So in seeking justice in what is right, humanity, compassion, and mercy must always be employed. I like this quote from Bruce Lee, because it it really does apply here, um, to the idea of training. fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Because training and practice really is one of the most important aspects for people who follow this path. It really is. It really is. Uh, Charles is a man that talks about training a lot. Um, we just heard a story about training. When we talk about uh, putting our best foot forward, we talk about training and seeking experience in all aspects of the sales, Charles, uh, just how important is this?
2: Well, I would say that it's quintessential to growth to seek out the experiences And to make certain that how we're training and the experiences that we're seeking out are genuine. I'll say that I think a lot of people do what I call the minimum um, or the minimum of the minimum when it comes to any type of training. And then they mark it as a high mark thinking they've gained experience from it. And that is not quite how that works. There's whenever you deal with training, there's there's two types of primary training. There is maintenance training, which is the minimum. that is that is the minimum. And then there is training to become better. And this is something that people forget is that what you're doing to maintain a certain level is not what you do to do better than when you were. And when we we speak on training on this, We're not just talking about lifting weights and running laps, although that can be your method in part. We're talking about training the mind, training awareness, training the ability to think, to know, to analyze. You know, there's so much more to everything than any one single part. But I think within training, a lot of people hit the maintenance level and they become very comfortable there. And they believe that they're improving, and they lose the they lose the realization of where they're at and what they're doing. And this is a this is a difficult thing to gauge for people. Um, one of my best friends is that that behemoth that I used to spar with. And him and I will talk about what his workout routines look like. And the thing is, you know, I never hear him talk about lifting the same amount of weight for uh, three months in a row. I hear him talking about what he's going to do to shift up his routine to get five more pounds on the bar. I think a lot of people find what I would call the appeasement level of training. They do the minimum they need to appease their sense of satisfaction so they can say, I'm going in a direction. And if you're doing that, you're, you're not. At that point, you can do that and that's fine if you're doing that to maintain where you're at, but you gotta mark the checkbox no longer aiming to grow here. You gotta look at the other checkboxes and see where where your time, your energy are being invested in. Now I wanna hit on also what you said in there, you know, we're training this to seek justice coupled with humanity, compassion, and mercy. This is more than just training yourself to throw a punch. I'm 38 years old. I'm not in law enforcement. I have to date been required to throw a grand total of zero punches in my life. Now Let me, let me, let me continue that. When I say required, I don't mean I didn't have to when I was sparring. Well, I mean, I didn't. I could have just stood there and take punches in the face. But that was a choice. That was a situation in which I was like, oh, okay, uh, I've decided I'm going to do this. And if I'm going to do this, probably want to hit back a lot, <laughs> you know, don't want to just stand there. The moment you become a heavy bag for your sparring partner is the moment you fail. So that that's different, you know, what I was doing in training versus the real life application of it. But 38 years, I've had three near-violent encounters, and I say near-violent, maybe four, because in each situation, once I – that's going to sound so terrible to use the word fighting pose, but that's really what it is when you when you set your hands up in front of your face properly, um, or at sides of your head if you're doing a little bit better with it, and you lower those elbows in. And you put one foot forward and you start leading with that left hand. That's a fighting pose. <laughs> it's not a. Uh, it's not meant to intimidate someone, but sure as hell it works that way. Um, every time I've been in a situation where I thought it was about to get bad, I did that and I started moving forward, and the other person went somewhere else. I guess they looked in my eyes and they realized that I'd done this before or done this enough to know what I was doing, and they decided that of all the places. To be that wasn't it. That could have went really bad for me, too. Uh, In those situations, I was relatively certain the person was unarmed, uh, at least in the situations where I could make that determination and in the one where I couldn't. Uh, It was one of those things where it was open area, and if they were armed, it didn't matter. It was fight and die there or run and die at a distance if they were really serious, which they weren't, thankfully. But that's kind of my point. The 38 years and I've had to use my fists to bring justice. Never. Um, I've had to use my mind, though. I've had to use my intellect, and my reason, countless times to either bring justice or to uphold a just outcome, including putting myself between a crazed berserker who had lost his mind and was failing on my front lawn because he'd had an overdose. Um, didn't turn into a fight. I'm thankful. I didn't take up a fighting pose that time either because I knew the guy and I was trying to be in a calming position. Actually, I, I did take up a fighting pose, but I didn't, like, clench my fists, level my hands. I put one hand out in front of the other as if though I'm calming the guy. What I'm actually doing is I'm setting my left hand up and I'm pulling my right hand back in case I have to palm strike him. But he don't know that, okay? And he don't need to know that. He hyped up on drugs. What what I needed at that moment, though, was my reason and my wits, and that was something that I trained. I trained to become calm in moments of crisis, which is hilarious because in moments that are not crisis, where they're bad and they're stressful, I don't always engage that calm. This is, this is a hilarious note. So if something catches on fire right now, the back of my brain will click over, and all of that training will rush to the front, and I'll go, hmm. That's something I need to deal with. Okay. If uh, a bill comes in the mail that I didn't expect, that I thought was paid off, I'll have a panic attack. Uh, As funny as that sounds, because I've trained that skill to kick in, in emergency situations. I haven't trained it to kick in for everyday life. And that's that's an example of training that I'm actually working on now is to get that center state in all situations. But that's that's kind of my point. You know, when we talk about training, we're not talking about just going and hitting a heavy bag, but that could be a part of it for you. And honestly, um, depending on where you're at in your life, it probably needs to be a part of it. When I was young and unsure of my ability to defend myself, when I I had no experience in it, I needed it. And if that's what you need, then you need to be training to get better, not to maintain. If you're hitting the heavy bag and – you're hitting it just as hard today as you did yesterday, you done screwed up. You need to go and research how to throw better punches. You need to maybe take video of yourself and harshly critique what you're doing. You need to get someone to work with. You need to find someone who knows what they're doing and be like, hey, teach me. Um, if you are lifting weights, you know, three months after you start, you started at a hundred pounds on your bench press, and now you're at hundred pounds on your bench press. That's not training, that's maintenance, and that's fine if that's what you're doing, but you need to understand what it's for. And then this gets into things like meditation. I talk to people and they say, Well, you know, I can't meditate for ten minutes. I like, said, so, Well, can you meditate for five? Well, no, I say, Okay, can you meditate for two? Well, yeah, I meditate for two. good. Meditate for two and try to get to three. They get to three, and yeah, so we'll get to four next. And you literally walk someone up the ladder with encouragement to gain that skill to enter that state of calm when they need it. But within that, the reason I bring up humanity, compassion, and mercy, which is what you brought up as well, when we think of training as an art form that is martial only, we now have a really good hammer and everything is a nail, everything. And we want to use that hammer, even if we don't choose to, I'm sorry, five near, near violent altercations. One just came to mind. And I can tell you that I had two parts of my training back then. And had I not been training my mind to be able to find the part of me that was in control, I would have walked outside of a room and beat a man to death and I'd be in jail over what amounted to a threat against a friend of mine's life and using a vehicle to make that threat. Now, are those good reasons to stand up to someone? Yes, they are. But until that person has swung or made some form of direct offensive maneuver now that they've left their vehicle and are posturing and busting, you know how people do, until they're actually swinging at you, you don't get to swing at them No matter how much you want to, and I assure you, I wanted to, but my training had been ever-increasing. My physical training and my spiritual had been moving at the same pace, so instead of going, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this little little metal retractable baton I keep with me and break this man into itty-bitty pieces, I said, do I really want to do this? And the answer was no. Do I have to do this? Not yet. That was an important statement. And that's where that humanity, compassion, and mercy is because I realize that this guy is not operating as his best self. But I also realize that I am not at my best with my emotions where they're at. And I have to find my humanity, have compassion for myself, and not beat myself up over being angry and get distracted from maintaining focus and not letting it take control, but also have compassion for him because he doesn't realize that, yeah, I'm going to break it. He may think he realized that he may even want it at that moment, but he really doesn't. Because no one wants to be in the hospital the next day. Not you, not me, not him. And have mercy both on him for having made this, this posturing, aggressive stance, and on myself for whatever ego that I'm not satisfying. Because your ego wants you to fight at that moment. I assure you. No matter how much a pacifist you are, once you start moving to defend someone, the urge to attack someone becomes very strong. And you have to have those things, and you have to train those things. So when we talk about training, you lift your weights, you do your runs, whatever it is you do for your physical training to maintain or grow. Yes, that's a big part of it. But also in seeking justice, we have to train the mind and the soul so that they work alongside each other and alongside the body so that the best part of who you are is what takes over in a crisis instead of either A, the part that is most panicked, or B, the part that is most aggressive. And trust me, that ego is there. You don't think you got an ego until you're sitting there and you want to hit someone, but you haven't. That's when you know the ego has not died. That's when you look at it and you go, wow, hi, Ego. I, I didn't know you were still there. And that's what we t- we're we talking about when we say training, is you have to train all of it. You know, if you can lift and that's 10,000 why you pounds and
0: That's why you see mm-hmm. professionals do the things they do, and you see them react the way they do, because it's trained. So yep. it's, it's, it's trained within yep. them. I hate to cut you off, Charles. we only got about six minutes per topic point that we can Ooh. hit. Uh, yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a few final thoughts for me on on, on uh, this first one. As Charles uh, said, you, you train the body by doing things that keep you in shape and healthy, that help you physically react to different um, situations that may occur. You train the mind by reading and writing and listening. Uh, Ali has a very good meditation. Um, a technique that, that I actually learned from her. She does, may not know this, but um, it's a writing meditation technique, and it's very, very effective, and it sharpens, sharpens the needle. Uh, you train the soul by being kind to people, going out of your way to be kind, going out of your way to be helpful, going out of your way to be insightful. Uh, so we do this to master the best parts of ourselves. You should know your weaknesses, and you should strive to remedy those as best you can, but really find what you're best at and master those things. Master them. Practice those 10,000 times rather than trying to learn 10,000 different things that you may never, ever, ever have a chance to bother using. You have to – and, by the way, everything that we're talking about requires an honest effort. Um, Train, training in this way is the best way to develop courage and confidence. And, and as Charles said, and, and, and as I can attest to, and Ali also, uh, when when uh, shit hits the fan, that's when your training will kick in. Um, if you haven't trained, you'll panic. If you have trained and you know what you can handle, what you can't handle, those things will kick in. You'll be much more successful. All right, next one: right action. Right action, that's a loaded word, but we'll get into that. Right action, tempered by sound judgment. A knight seeks the path of right in all their endeavors. They work hard every day to not be blinded by personal judgments or personal interests when in the service of others. Taking each situation as it comes, never judging until they have the knowledge they need, and always seeking to find the right path instead of the easy or fast one. I'm going to turn this over to Ali. before I do, I want to point out something very important. Right action is not the same thing as righteousness, okay? Right action is having integrity in your actions and works. It's having enough forethought, to do what you can, can to see the best possible outcome for everyone involved, even your opponent, even those opposed to you. It is not to take shortcuts for the sake of expediency. Righteousness is to force action or compliance without integrity, where every word or action then needs to be justified by further words or actions. If you have to justify everything you do and everything you say, then you're probably not doing the right thing for the most part. You cannot use righteousness as a propellant to do something. In my opinion, righteousness is a cancer to true virtue. It's my opinion, I think some of you share this. All right, Ali, what's your take on this one, Ali? Did we lose you, Ali?
1: Oh, I was, I thought, okay. I'm sorry. I've muted myself. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so I want to hit on to a point real quick regarding right action. And I want to give an example using our oath, actually, it, the oath that you and I took, Justin, to defend the Constitution. So as a as a police officer, you have some mm, a authority, quote, unquote, even though you don't actually have it, but by virtue of people fearing you and fearing what law enforcement can do, you have the, quote, unquote, authority to step over lines that you shouldn't be stepping over, quote, unquote. Uh, I'm I'm doing that because I I want people to understand this is not right. This is not, and, and there's no way in hell that any police officer should do this. But by virtue of, there's, a status in in society they have the ability to do this that is things like going into a home that you are not authorized to go into you don't have reasonable suspicion to believe that there's currently a somebody that's getting hurt you didn't you didn't hear anybody scream you're just going to barge in there to go find evidence technically because of your status and the fear that people have of police officers, you can get away with that. You're not supposed to, but you can get away with that. But if we have integrity to our oath, our oath to defend the Constitution, then we know we can't do that. Because if we, when we start doing that, we start instilling fear into our communities that we're going to step over whatever the hell we want just so that we can find something. And you might not even find anything at all. That's one of the reasons I don't like no knock warrants, but I'm not getting into that today. So right action, when you say it's not just about righteousness, that's one of those things that come to mind for me, because it might be righteous to go in and, and maybe you do find the evidence that you need. Maybe, maybe someone was murdered, and you need the evidence to find the culprit who murdered them. Maybe they're a serial killer, but, and you need that evidence. But to step over that line is to instill fear into the rest of the community that you don't care, and you will step over at any time, which is why the court systems will hope stop you if they find out that that's what you've done. They have to be the ones holding you accountable, and then you don't get your guy anymore. And, and I think in terms of cops, I used to be an MP, so if you guys sit there and you're like, oh, well, that's a really weird thing for her to bring up, no, that, that's really where I come from on this. And I actually relate a lot of the right action, the, the whole statement that you gave to how police operate and how they should be operating. Uh, you shouldn't be blinded by personal judgment. You, you can't go into that home. Uh, or personal interests when it comes to service desires. You, you can't you can't torture someone to get information out of them. We know today that it doesn't actually work as well as people think it does. People, Anybody will tell you anything. They'll tell you they killed their living mother if you torture them enough because they just want it to stop. So as you take these situations coming at you and you take in the information, you can only take – uh, you have to do it through right action as well. Information that we gain from the, the world around us uh, in terms of politics or even, even an individual that you have online that you really don't like. You just absolutely hate this person and you color everything they say as being one way or another. Just simply by virtue of the fact that they've said some really horrible things before. So let's take um, Stella Emanuel for, for example. Don't get me wrong, I don't agree with her on the, uh, on the hydroxychloroquine thing. The one point that I do agree with her is that the media is doing a, a really terrible job of getting out the actual studies that prove hydroxychloroquine don't work. So we can't find that information ourselves. We're having to listen Listen to what the media and the authorities have to say instead of being able to judge that information for ourselves. But so Stella Emanuel recently came out, and she's like, I've been using these three different things. I don't remember what the third one was, but it was hydroxychloroquine and zinc and something else. And it's worked. It's worked. And then everybody goes after her, and they're like, oh, well, she believes in reptile people, and she only can do pediatrics, in which case, by the way, that's wrong. That is not actually accurate. Her secondary thing is uh, emergency medicine, so of course she actually does. Now it didn't take long before the media dropped that part out, and that was personal research. I went to the Texas Board to find that Charles and or uh, Justin can prove that because I sent him the information back then. But they're taking that information and they're covering everything she says now. Here's my question. Even though you all believe that the earth is round, let's say that she said the earth was round. Would you suddenly all now believe that the earth is flat simply because she's wrong about everything else? You have to temper the situation based on what you have there. You can't judge it based on every other belief that someone has. There are plenty of people around the world that believe in demons. In fact, a number of, I'm pretty sure about at least half the panel here believes in them in some measure or form. There are a number of people that believe in ghosts. I think, like, at one point in time, it was, like, 70% of the population believes in ghosts. Who knows? But they're using these things against her. And you can do that with everybody else. Anyone you hate. She's just far removed from you, but what about someone that you have a prejudice against? You have to approach every situation as though you know nothing about the history of that person. You can't have your personal, your personal ideas and thoughts go into what's going on here. And that, in turn, helps you better approach everyone around you. You hear someone say something and then you automatically think, oh, well, because they said that one particular thing that everybody who's a neo-Nazi says, that must mean that they're neo-Nazis. Well, maybe their ideology on why they're saying it's different. Would you believe that if someone said writing is bad, that they're neo-Nazis? I've heard that before. I actually have someone who believes me me to be that case. So uh, then I look at them, and I'm thinking to myself, so you're going to say that Martin Luther King was a neo-Nazi if he said the same thing, which he probably would based on historical evidence? You can't, because that's not what he means. You have to dive in and find out what the truth is. Evidence is evidence. You can't say, oh, someone's racist because they happen to say, I don't see color. Maybe they have a military background, and that means something completely different than when a white supremacist says it. Maybe that doesn't mean that they actually ignore the cultural background. What they mean is, I love you just as much as I love anybody else. Or I hate you as much as anybody else. I only love myself. I mean, you got narcissists out there. and Or I'm going to fight for you regardless of what your skin color is. You are my equal because you are human. Maybe that's what they really mean. White supremacist, on the other hand, who happens to say this just to dismiss people out of hand, you don't know based on just the statement. You have to dig into what that person says. Everything needs Extra information. Extra information. Now, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. But you can't judge it until you know, until you've you digged in. And, and that's what I'm going to say. I think my six minutes are up.
0: I think that's, I, I think what he said is fine, and it's really is important. I'll say it again for those in the back. Uh, righteousness. In my opinion, is a cancer to true virtue and to true right action. Righteousness, in my opinion, is a cancer to virtue and true right action. Uh, it really is, because if you're if, if you're being judgmental before you even hear what the person is saying, no, then you're not you're not acting right. You're you're you are already fueled by righteousness which we could sit here for the next 28 hours and list F, point by point everything that righteousness has done bad for us as a people, as a world. For people on this path, similar paths, this path, there, there is this urge to want to go out and, quote, unquote, save the world. It's something that, that people on this path struggle with. Uh, when something happens, we want to take immediate action. We want to go out there and right all the wrongs. We want to march people to the beat of a drum of righteousness. We want to cure those, cure those ills with righteousness. Uh, and many times this means that people are trying to enforce an outcome or force others to fall in line or else. This is not for a night of awakening. Right action must be tempered. By wisdom, by knowledge, by not taking a judgmental or uh, a prejudiced approach to situations, you, you know, I, I, Ali, you you laid it out perfectly. We can't we can't prejudge things before we even know what the hell we're looking at. That's righteousness, and that's not good. Loyalty as a virtue, not loyalty is a virtue because it is sometimes, but loyalty as a virtue, because loyalty taken too far can, of course, as we know, be bad too. That kind of leads to righteousness and just, quote, unquote, following orders, which we know uh, has not worked out well for for us as a people either. A knight is not loyal to their ideals and is loyal to doing what is right and just. They are loyal to the betterment of themselves and, by extension, to those around them. They understand that loyalty is a virtue and must be used with temperament. Changing an idea is key in growth, which is why they are always on guard for when an ideal no longer serves its purpose, and not holding tightly to that, to that idea, especially when it stops serving them. Charles, do you have any thoughts on uh, loyalty?
2: Oh, uh, A lot but I want to try to keep it as short as I can because I know we're we're burning through time here. I think the thing about loyalty is that there are two types of loyalty in this world. There is loyalty to an idea or to a moral compass, and then there's loyalty to an external thing, a, a physical thing, be it a group, and or be it a, an a, a person. And I think what we have to remember is that there's a difference between obedience and loyalty within that, uh, that that's what that's what I want to hit on with this. Loyalty means that you are still doing what is best and right in order of importance to you for things to be loyal to because If you are going to be loyal to one thing, eventually you will have to be disloyal to another, and you will reach conflicts of interest, and that's part of having to deal with the dissonance that is human existence. But if you are loyal to a a series of ideas or a path first, then that is the opposite of obedience. Obedience is what people think of when they talk about loyalty. And they they mean loyalty to an organization or loyalty to their idea. They mean obedience to an organization or to their idea. And when you do that, obedience is a blind thing. My dog is obedient when I tell her to sit, when I tell her to lay. Uh, She's loyal because she comes and lays on me versus, well, she's not loyal. Uh, my littler dog is loyal. He's not obedient. He is no good at following orders, but he is loyal in the sense that he will come to me first and preference himself towards my comfort by sitting on me or near me to where I can pet him. So he has great loyalty, uh, not so much obedience, whereas the other one, uh, she, she just kind of likes anyone who's around. She, her, her loyalty factor, if she knows, if she knows the people around kind of wavers and that's a really bad example, but it's going to lead into what I really am trying to say here. Within loyalty, it is not just obedience. It is rationalizing and understanding what is best and right for the core idea and goal behind a thing. So uh, when people get this mistake, I hear statements like, well, taking that stance is not loyal to the police force. And I've heard this said to police officers who've taken certain stances recently, or to the military for military members or former military members. Um, you know, That's not loyalty to where you serve. It's, a lot of times a person is being loyal to the idea to the founding principle of something, but they're not being obedient. They're not being a representation of what is being asked to be of them in obedience. And we need to separate those. When loyalty becomes only obedience, loyalty lacks value. Anyone can be beaten into obedience, but loyalty is worth its weight in gold. And say that it again. is
0: incumbent upon say that, it. Say, say that again.
2: anybody anybody can be beaten into obedience, but loyalty is worth its weight in gold.
0: Right before that, which part? I think you said something about obedience without something about about uh, uh, obedience and loyalty, but obedience having no value, something to that effect. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, uh, when. When loyalty is only obedience, it has no value. It, it's worth nothing. Awesome. And yep. it it doesn't support the underlying goal or the idea of what a thing is. So, like, when you guys talked about your oath to the Constitution, that is loyalty. It's not just obedience. If you were to find... And this would be very difficult, given that our document is fairly well written. But hey, maybe there's one little spot that we none of us have looked at. If you were to find that a spot of it was not good or right or just, you wouldn't follow it blindly. That'd just be obedience. That wouldn't be loyalty to the spirit of what was meant by it when it was created. Nor if someone said, well, because I am this person or that person... And I'm telling you to do this, and I have authority based on that document. Following what they said would be obedience, not necessarily loyalty. Not always, not loyalty, not always disloyalty. Sometimes loyalty and obedience can go hand in hand. You know, but that's where awareness comes in. And awareness should be, awareness should be the word that's on your mind as well as awakening. 24 hours a day when you're not aware you're mindless Mindless in that respect you will make more problems than you solve I think that loyalty has to always come to an idea not to a person and not to a center point of authority because you can only be loyal to the idea of a person If I have a brain injury tomorrow, loyalty would be, if I'm doing terrible things, stopping me. You'd be being loyal to the spirit of who I was. But obedience would be letting me do what evils may come out of of a twisted, injured mind. I would much prefer loyalty as a friend, as a colleague, over obedience any day of the week. That's my thought on that
0: yes because because within that, this loyalty is part of the founding principle of family. Um, and we employ compassion to each other and empathy, then we can be loyal to each other. Loyalty requires those things. Uh, when we talk about blind obedience, you know that's kind of the pitfall of discipline also. You know, if you're disciplined and you're obedient, then, you know, um, there was uh, uh, millions of people killed not too long ago because people were just following orders. They didn't even think about the consequences of the right or wrong actions. They just did it because that's what they were told to do, because they were disciplined and they were loyal to a vote. Loyalty is a virtue, it must be tempered like anything else. Allie, I'm going to take this one to you. Uh, teacher, defender, diplomat. A knight is someone who stands up for others, defending those who cannot defend themselves. They also teach others the skills needed to navigate the tough situations those people may find themselves in. The ultimate goal is to bring others to a point where the knight is no longer in a new, quote, unquote, knight in that other person is born. For me, this really this really com- talks about the fact that we wear a lot of hats day to day. Uh, just in one day, just in one day before most people get up and eat breakfast, I, I am already a teacher, a protector, a diplomat, a caretaker, provider, and confidant. Those are just that's just basic description of being a father. If you add in my profession, if you add in my relationships to each and every individual, there's a there's an infinite number of hats that we have to wear. Uh, when we stop and understand this, we think about this, and we think about the roles that we play, you start to get a real perspective of how important your awareness and, and, and the importance of you are in the grand scheme of, of life, in the grand scheme of the life that you've built. I mean, th- think about... Think about for a second, tally up all the different parts and roles you play in just one day. They say life is a stage. It certainly is. Allie, what's your take on, on, on this uh, this one?
1: So this definitely reminds me of uh, being, well, not that I ever was. I did go through the training to become one, but I got out before I could get there. Being an NCO in the military. You're a mentor. You you have to teach, obviously, some skills that are necessary for the military. But it's also about helping that individual find what they're fighting for, find what they're working to get towards, whether they want a life outside of the military and maybe this was just part of their way of helping them get to a point where they could financially keep themselves stable. Or maybe they just wanted to complete a dream of being able to fight in a war because they thought that that would be helpful in some way. Uh, I'm sure many people were disillusioned by that one in particular, but it is what it is. If they had a dream, then you're there to help them fulfill it. And getting them past certain points, like their training for weapons qualification or how to do uh, military operations in urban terrain, mount, et cetera, those things help you stay alive. Certainly, but the other things like personal development, getting you to go in and do uh, training on, mm, training in college. You, you can start up in the military going towards college. So you get them set up for that. You teach them good habits so that they'll get through all those things later on when they're on the outside. Now, don't get me wrong, military or the VA does, uh, has come under a lot of scrutiny where they don't really take care of us. But in the military, your NCOs do try to take care of you so that you can be better prepared. And if they know what they're doing, they're trying to help you be better prepared for when you're on the other side of the military lifestyle and you're a a civilian and a vet at the same. We, as knights who are not in a military setting now, we have to take notes from them. Or at least, well, okay, you and I can take notes from them because we've, directly dealt with them. We know what are bad what are bad NCOs like, so we know what bad leaders are like. We know what good leaders look like. Because we've seen some good leaders, even if for some people it felt like they were very rare. Other people would have to take cues from people in their workplace that were mentors. People that maybe they've only experienced in school or college who helped them get up to a point where they can they can be on the other side of Okay, I don't have that person anymore. Those are our goals. That's why we have to teach, the, uh, we have to teach people how to navigate through the tough situations and the, the skills that they'll need, how to be objective, how to uh, – we can't make them all, us. It's not a good idea to make them us. Maybe they want some of the skills that we have. Maybe you're a really good person at negotiating and they, they specifically wanted to train under you or learn from you because you were really good at that. That's not the only talent that we have to pass on to our students, and that's where I'm going to end that one.
0: Yeah, certainly it's it, it's very difficult to pass certain things on. Um, some things we just have to throw them to the fire. I said to Charles, oh, was, it, was it yesterday, I think? All these days start melting together. Uh, But I have made the comment that we never get the students that we want. We always get the ones that we need, you know, and sometimes that is, (laughs) sometimes that's hard. And sometimes we get thrown to the fire when we throw them to the fire. But that's where the best things are made, with pressure and heat. A knight understands the easy path is not for them. Through the difficulties of doing what is right, Inner strength is inspired, inner unity, and inner harmonies are inspired. This then transcends them and encourages others around them to take the high road rather than the easy. This does require great courage, and the Knight understands that every situation they may find themselves in, great amounts of courage and perseverance will be needed to be steadfast. There is a uh, kind of common theme here over and over again about... Uh, tempering righteousness and um, trying to do the right thing as best we can by holding to our promises and our oaths and our, and our um, agreements. Charles?
2: I would say that when we refer to things as in how we deal with them as a the knight, we should make a note that it's important to recognize that we're discussing about situations in which you are being nightly or need to be nightly you're acting as a night this is not making your cup of coffee in the morning this is not pouring your bowl of cereal this is facing difficulty and when we face difficulty the greatest difficulty we will ever face internally that or the greatest difficulty we will ever face is the internal one which is that question of doing what is right or what is easy Because the two are rarely ever completely the same. It may be easy emotionally to do what is right, but it may also be very difficult emotionally. You may have prejudices and build up ideas and all manner of thought processes that you have compound upon yourself that make the action difficult. And that's why at that moment you're thinking, what does it mean to be a knight? And this is why you have to have courage, because courage is not walking into a situation you already know how to handle. You already know that you're doing the right thing. Courage is not in a situation where you are self-assured that all things will go well. That's called mundane. That's called normal. Courage is what you bring into a situation where you are unsure what the outcome will be, where you're unsure even if your actions will be the best ones. And you have to have courage to know that you are going to do the best that you can to face the parts of yourself that will get in the way and to take the actions that are necessary to be the best person you can be, even when it means being courageous against the parts of yourself that want to be the worst. It is easier to square down with another human being in a fistfight than it is to be the better person when it counts. That's what I've
0: got to say on that. I lost my place. There's a couple that we're not going to get to, like two or three. Um, They kind of do reiterate some of the other things and and brings more in a focal point because some things are worth repeating over and over again because that's just the nature of, of what we do. A night is generous to those around them. I think Charles said to me once that this that generosity is is probably the cornerstone of knighthood uh because everything we do we seek to serve, and generosity is is kind of the cornerstone of that um because we don't just give money or give you know uh charity I mean being generous is such a much broader topic that we'll get to when we do the agreements, but I keep losing my place. Where are you? (laughs) A knight is generous to those around them. A knight understands that what is given will come back to them. And that they should take care of their needs as their means allow because to keep all things leads to greed. And one who is greedy cannot serve others above themselves. I'll let you uh, I'll let you finish this off here.
1: So on this one, I, I will say that one point that I will somewhat disagree with, a knight understands that what is given will come back to them. I think that a knight should understand that it may not come back to them either. It's not about you, it's about the world around you and improving it. we We really need to keep that at the forefront of our minds. Because if it doesn't come back to us and we expected something to come back to us, that could make us really bitter and not allow us to be generous at all when somebody really really needs it and if you have compassion and mercy then and empathy then you'll understand the necessity for such things but the point of the point where you bring up that um, we have to take care of ourselves it's so important that we take care of ourselves if I'm going So one of the things that I've done a long time ago, back maybe a year or so after KOA started, I wrote a class called aiding emergency services at the time I was calling, calling it um, aiding law enforcement. But I put in a scenario where you hear what sounds like a gunshot next door after you heard the people arguing and then suddenly the argument stops. What do you do? Well, I've had people in the past who were like, oh, well, I'd try to go over there. No, no, you don't try to go over there because your safety is not just important to the mission of being able to, if if it really did happen. Your your safety is important, not just to the mission of protecting that person, but also so that you can be a witness. You can say, oh, no, there was an argument over there, and you can be that, that person's voice on the stand saying, hey, yeah, that's the person that pretty much did it. But if you go over there, not only could you get shot you put your, and put yourself in a precarious situation, you also end up, it takes one, one ambulance per person to respond. So now you've got two people that are hurt on the spot. So now that's two ambulances, and one of those ambulances could be going out to someone who has who is in need of a heart attack problem. And you've taken that resource away from them. We have to think about how it impacts everything around us. Our livelihood could be the difference between somebody else getting help later on. You, you spend too much money. You give too much money out. You don't have enough money for you, and now you're out on the streets. Well, guess what? Maybe you were set up where you could have had a really good job if you had just kept a house. And then that extra money that you got, you could have poured it into a charity or some, some sort of cause that would help somebody else later. You can't pay it forward if you don't have anything to pay forward with. So, you know, you you do have to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. And don't get greedy. Absolutely don't get greedy. The whole point of being generous is so that you don't get greedy and so that you know uh, and and being the point that I made earlier where a, a knight understands that they probably won't get it given back is about not being greedy as well. And that's, that's the end of my.
0: So that, that, of that, that's, a good, that's a good point. But I want to point out the, 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 the soul behind those words. Uh, there's a thing called karma. Translates roughly to comeback, right? What goes around comes around. Cause and effect. All these things, the golden rule. The reason it's worded that way is, is to always keep in the forefront of that person's mind, especially under great amounts of stress. This goes back to training, right? If they forget all things, all except for what goes around, comes around type of thing, then they are more likely to be overly generous versus, you know, you, you see what I'm saying? Um, that should be the initial reaction. I also want to point out that greed isn't necessarily just the accumulation of things or the accumulation of um, the the idea behind greed is attachment. For me, this is just yes. me speaking off the cuff here. Uh, greed is attachment. So I could have lots of money, I could have lots of things, but where it gets dangerous is my attachment to those things. I never tell people you should never strive for all the things in this wonderful world that you can have that you can get or so that you can work for whatever. Uh, just be careful on how attached you to those things.
3: Um, people Absolutely. are certainly
0: greed yeah. So people are certainly greedy with love. Uh think about all the people that get hurt over jealousy, for example. That's greed. Yep. That's the you know, so um
1: and, and one that's the That is the point of the tenth commandment: Do not covet. Covenant, the, the, yeah. And the ninth, act. Yeah.
0: Covenant. Yeah. That's that. That is why you see so many people that that are anti-attachment because really, uh, at the center of attachment is greed, um, not the accumulation of things. And and, and generosity. Uh, I'm gonna have to make sure that you come back with me when we do the agreements because generosity is really, really a tough one to nail down for a lot of people because it gets kind of muddy. People, people misunderstand the the, the spirit of greed. And people misunderstand that uh, accepting a gift from others is, is just as important as giving a gift. So, We'll get into that when we do the agreements, um, probably next week or the week after, because I really want to spend some quality time on those. We probably, if we do it right, we'll only be able to do maybe two agreements per show if we really do it right. So um, I want to thank you guys for joining me. I I really do appreciate it. Um, We're going to be doing shows like this, but I'm also lining up. Shows for us to do uh, the, the old shows we used to do, like with the the interviews and stuff. Those are the ones I love the most. But I'll leave you with this: so long as I draw breath in this life, I promise I will serve this world with as much empathy and compassion as possible. I have faith that what I'm doing is right and just. I have hope that every life I touch is inspired and as empowered by my involvement. I will, when called to action, employ courage in the face of adversity and always stand up for what is right. I will keep in mind that justice can bring terrible consequences for me and my opponent. I, will, I must also employ mercy when I can. I will be generous to my brothers, sisters, and strangers. I strive to always be noble in all of my interactions in the world. Thank you all so very much for joining me. I love you all very much. And until next time, awaken the night within.